rejection is a really hard thing, isn't it? Like, it is one of the worst feelings that you can get. I mean, if, you, if you're, uh, you know, students, you might be there right now, but, but if you're older, like apparently I am now, uh, it, you go back to when you were a teenager, and you can remember those feelings of rejection, right? If you're rejected when you go ask someone out and they say, no, I just think of you as a friend. Oh, man. I get, like, just, it just hurts so bad. Or, or if you get rejected by a boyfriend or a girlfriend, it's not you, it's me. No, no, it, it is you. I actually broke up with someone that way once. No, it's, it's totally you. Uh, <laughs> I'm not proud of it, but that's where it was. But, man, it, rejection hurts, doesn't it? It, it is just just brutal. And you think like, oh, you know, when you get older, things get better, right? It, it doesn't. Like, we never get used to being rejected. We never are like, okay, it's just rejection. You know, that person rejected me when I was in high school. I'm fine. I've, I've learned to accept rejection. It, it, is, it always hurts. You know, if you have a friend who rejects you or, or betrays you or betrays a trust and walks away or just ghosts you and never calls you again, that hurts. It really does. It, uh, it hurts if, uh, if you uh, go through a divorce. Like, even if you have to go through it, right, to, to protect yourself and to protect others, it, it still hurts. Or if you have a family member that goes through a divorce uh, and it pulls the family apart, it, that kind of rejection hurts. It hurts if uh, you have children that say, we don't want to talk to you anymore because of politics or beliefs. It hurts if you have uh, parents who cut you off or functionally cut you off. It's, it's, it's difficult. What should, and you know, when we feel rejection, I mean, it might not be true, but sometimes if you feel like one or two rejections, you know, like, and then you go to work and they don't listen to you or you don't get the promotion you're supposed to get or I've got to tell you I've worked for organizations where they just don't care about what your opinion is right or what you think and that is dehumanizing right so those of you who who've worked jobs where they just don't listen to you you see problems and you're like hey this is a problem we can fix it and they they don't care like that is that's that that's a kind of rejection it's dehumanizing right and if you get a few like even two of those rejections in a row it feels like everyone has rejected you whether that's true or not what should we do when we feel rejected by everybody. Because that's a really real feeling. Now, typically what we do, at least what I do, is we say, okay, I'm rejected over here. I'm going to go find acceptance in my family. I'm going to go find acceptance from my parents. I'm going to go find acceptance from my community. I'm going to go find acceptance in my hobby that I like. Or just say, you know what? Actually, this is what I really do. I'm going to isolate myself. I don't need anyone. And I just, I just go off my own corner and do my own thing. Right? I, I don't need anyone. I've got, I've got food and I've got, got books. I'm good to go. I, who needs people? But the problem is people are in books too, right? Like, it's like you read about relationships in books. It'd be very boring if there wasn't any people in the books. So we just saw last week Moses uh, being in, encountering God in the burning bush. And as I tried to portray last week as, as I was preaching as if I was Moses, he's a stuttering, insecure, reluctant person to go. The last thing God said to him on Sinai was kind of out of anger. I, I, not kind of. It absolutely was out of anger. <laughs> now the anger of the Lord burned against him. Uh, and, uh, and he sent him on his way. So then we come across... I'm on the wrong end of my Bible here. Uh, <laughs> then we come over to this really strange 
strange uh, whole series of events in verse 18. Read along with me in your Bibles, chapter 4 of Exodus, verse 18. Then Moses went back to his father-in-law Jethro and said to him, Please let me return to my relatives in Egypt and see if they are still living. Jethro said to Moses, Go in peace. Okay, so he goes to his father-in-law, and he came off the mountain. He makes the several-day journey back to Midian, and God says, I'm sending you. Go to Pharaoh to release my people out of the land of Egypt into the promised land. And he tells his father-in-law, let me go see if any of my relatives are still alive. All right, it's a valid reason to go back to Egypt. I want to see if my, my brothers and sisters, maybe his parents might still be alive. You know, I, he doesn't know. Uh, and he says, let me, let, me, let me go back. And his father-in-law says, okay. Now remember, his father-in-law is also his boss, right? How many of you want to sign up for that job? Like, I mean, that's got to be hard and awkward. But he doesn't tell him the right reason. I mean, it's a valid reason, but he doesn't tell him why he's actually going back. You and I all know this feeling, right? Where you have relationships, even close relationships with a parent, with an in-law, sometimes with a spouse, with a kid. And there's something going on, and you just can't share it with them. It's too deep, right? It would be too awkward. I think that's what's going on with Moses. I mean, I can remember, um, and we've all felt that. I, I remember a number of years ago, only a few years in our marriage, Chris and I were watching a documentary about a childhood illness that I had for a number of years. And we're watching this, and I'm getting emotional, like, <gasps> stretching up all these horrible feelings. And I'm like, you're not going to cry. You're not going to cry. I'm like, all right, good. The movie, credits roll. We turn off the movie. I'm like, wow. My wife turns to me, and she goes, wow. Every single person in that movie, they, they had this feeling, this exact feeling and perspective on life uh, when they were going through this. And I broke down sobbing. I think I sobbed more than I ever have as an adult at that point. All right, do you remember that? You don't remember that? How do you not? It's <laughs> I just sobbed. I mean, I, like a child. I just have not sobbed like that. Isn't it? Like she just, because I was saying, I'm not going to talk about it with her. I'm not. I'm not I, I don't have to. It's too much. It's too painful. I don't want to go there. Right? It's too awkward. It's too weird. What if she makes fun of me? Right? And, and then she just, the first thing out of her mouth was the thing that just broke, my, broke me down. Right? Because I was trying to put up that barrier to intimacy. It was too close. It was too, too difficult. My wife broke through it anyways. And if you know her, that's kind of how she operates. <laughs> but we understand what Moses is doing here, right? You've had those moments. I'm not telling my parents this. I'm not telling my spouse this. I'm not telling this person. I'm not telling that, you know, I, I'm not telling anyone this. And so Moses comes up with a useful reason to go back to Egypt, but it's not true. Well, why is that? I think we find out why, is, why that is next. So, Moses wrote this down out of order. Uh, so it's not chrono chronologically in order because we're saying as readers, why does he tell Jethro why he's going back? Verse 19, this actually happened before uh, when, Jeth uh, when uh, Moses went to Jethro. So this happened chronologically before. He sees God up on the mountain, has a conversation, goes back to Midian, and then God talks to him, whether in a dream, whether out loud verbally, whether in a vision. But this is what happened. Now in Midian, the Lord told Moses, return to Egypt, for all the men who wanted to kill you are dead. So we're not sure if that's necessarily Pharaoh. You know, if it's the same Pharaoh here and there. Maybe the Pharaoh didn't care anymore. But the people who really wanted him dead are gone. Verse 20, so Moses took his wives, wife and sons, put them on a donkey, and returned to the land of Egypt. And Moses, Moses took God's staff in his hand. 
Okay, so um, so he has this moment. God appears to him. Everyone who wants you killed is gone, so you're safe now. Not only are you safe now, but I think this foreshadows the judgment God is going to bring against Egypt. And, uh, and Moses, he just doesn't say anything to Jethro about this. God spoke to him on the mountain. He spoke to him in Midian, and he doesn't say anything to him. It's not in the text here, but my guess is, as you know, a reasonable reader, as your reasonable readership is, is the reason that you don't tell your family member or close person something is you are afraid of rejection. I think he's afraid of being rejected. That his father-in-law thinks he's crazy. That his father-in-law will think that he's, uh, you know, uh, just making this up. He's not telling him. What should we do when we feel rejected by everyone? Well, here Moses kind of like pulls into himself. Doesn't seem like he's telling anyone what's going on. Verse 21, it gets better. So on the way back, the Lord instructed Moses, when you go back to Egypt, make sure you do before Pharaoh all the wonders that I've put within your power. Remember, throw the staff on the ground, it turns into a serpent. Uh, you take a, a water out of, out of the Nile, pour it on the ground, it'll turn to blood. Put your hand into your cloak and oh, it's covered in leprosy. Put it back in and it's healed. Do those things but I will harden his heart so that he won't let the people go. And you will say to Pharaoh, this is what the Lord says. Israel is my firstborn son. I told you, let my son go so that he may worship me. But you refuse to let him go. Look, I'm about to kill your firstborn son. Ooh. So, so God's telling Moses, this is not going to be easy, right? It's not going to be easy at all. He says, uh, first of all, it's going to be hard because I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart. And what that means is uh, it, it means he's going to strengthen his resolve. There's a lot of debate about what this means because you see all throughout the Exodus story that it, it'll say Pharaoh hardened his heart. It strengthened his resolve. He says, I'm going to do what has to be done. Right? Put on some cool jam music and he's like, I got this. You know? And he's like, I'm going to make it happen. Strengthens his resolve. Uh, but then you see other places where it says God hardened his heart. God strengthened his heart. And people have debated this forever and ever. You know, I, what I imagine, though, is what's happening here, first of all, God's in control, period. Second of all, I think what's happening is Pharaoh is hardening his heart, and as he's, as he's losing his resolve to do what he wants to do, and he's like, I, you know, I don't want to do this, I don't want to let him go, but I have to because I'm afraid of God. It's almost like, I, I wonder, I don't know this for a fact, it's not in the text, I wonder if Pharaoh is over here praying to his false gods, please strengthen me so I can fight these awful Hebrews. Please strengthen me so, so I can fight their God, right? And it's almost like God intercepts his prayer and is like, all right, this is what you want. Here you go. I think that's from Pharaoh's perspective. From Moses' perspective, how are you feeling right now? Man, I'm going to go, and he's going to like tumble like a, like a stack of cards. Yay! No, 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 it's not going to be easy, Moses. I'm going to make it harder. And he not only says that, but he says, he says uh, that Pharaoh's heart is basically going to be turned against you. He is resolved to not let you go. He is resolved to keep your people in slavery. Um, and he is resolved to enslave the people of Israel, my firstborn son. He's saying to Moses, look, this is not a diplomatic mission, right? There's times you have to be diplomatic where you go talk to people. This is not a diplomatic mission. You are not going to find any camaraderie in Egypt. You're not going to find any family, uh, friendly, uh, 
friendly faces or family members back in Egypt that are in the Egyptian community that are going to say, hey, you know, you used to be one of us. You used to be a prince. Let's work this through. Hey, come on over. Have dinner with us. This is not going to be helpful. You're not going back to the community you knew in Egypt. He hates you. He wants to destroy you. He has rejected you. Know what you're getting into. It's not a diplomatic mission. I remember years ago, back when I was in New York State, uh, I volunteered with the Pregnancy Care Center that was over there. And one of the things we did was we had an abstinence program that would talk about God's beautiful design for sex. And, uh, and we, usually it was churches, sometimes it was schools. I remember the school board approached us. Okay, so we weren't, we weren't like selling anything. The school board approached us and said, hey, we were interested in having your program in our school cool, come talk with some board members. So we met, I don't know how many times, three, four, five times with a few board members in their home talking about what we do and how we do this. And they're like, okay, great. We're going to have to present this to the full school board in a public meeting so that we can vote on this. Is that okay with you? Sure. Right? So there was like a team of like six or seven of us and like, they're all like, I can't do it. I can't do it. And it was like me. And that was back when I was like, I don't know, maybe 19, 20 years old. You can go, Nathan. I'm like, okay. So I met with our rep, the person who called us, who was asking us to come bring this program to the school. And I went up and I'm like, hey, this is what we're going to do. This is what we're planning on. I thought it was just blah, blah, blah. All I had to do was that. She got up and she attacked me. And she was like, this is terrible and it's awful and this is going to ruin our schools and you people, right? Like she used that term, you people, and like just ripped me up one side down the other. I'm like totally turned on me. She was totally on my side before. And then she was just like, I'm like, what? Why did you do this, right? If you didn't want this program, all you had to do was not pick up the phone and call us. Why did you waste my time driving up here hours, all, at, at, you know, all the time to try and do this? For you to come over here and then just embarrass me in front of all these people, it was awful. It was just, just terrible. Um, and I was there by myself because no one else could go. <laughs> That's what God is saying to Moses here. When you're going to Egypt, it's like it, 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 you're not going to find any community in the Egyptian community. You are going to find rejection. So what should we do when we feel like everyone's rejected us? I know, family, right? If we've learned anything from the Fast and Furious movies, it's, it's family. <laughs> Apparently that's what that's all about. You tag that on to the end of the movie and you're like, wait, wait, this was about family? Yes, it was. Wasn't it about cars and just actions? That, no, nope, the whole thing, the whole thing was family. You might have blinked, you didn't see it. It's all about family, right? Family, ah, it's going to get you. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> Uh, so then we have this really bizarre incident, and oh my goodness, like I'm going to give you my, my attempted interpretation, but they've been arguing for this over, I don't know, 2,500, 3,000 years, so, so we ain't going to get there today, okay? Really bizarre. On the trip to an overnight campsite, it happened that the Lord confronted him and intended to put him to death. So Zipporah took a flint cut off her son's foreskin and threw it at Moses' feet and said, you are a bridegroom of blood to me. So he let him alone. At that time, she said, you are a bridegroom of blood to me, referring to the circumcision. Wait, what? <laughs> All of your faces, what is happening right now? Right? Like, I, I, don't, I don't know either. You're not going to get much help from me. Um, right? Because God's like, okay, okay, Moses, go. 
go set my people free. So he gets his whole family up, and then, and then God tries to, we're not even sure if God is trying to kill Moses, because if you notice the, the terms here, it says God tries to kill him, confronted him, and intended to put him to death. Who's the him? It could be referring to Moses. It could be referring to his son. And which son? Right? He's, he's got at least two at this point, because it says sons. We know uh, Gershon, who he basically named Homeless Bob. We know about that one. We don't know the name of the other one yet in the narrative. Uh, what is he talking about here? And why is God trying to kill him on the way to go to do the thing that he told him to do? Or at least his son on the way that he told him to go to the thing that he did? It's really weird, isn't it? Okay, so I'm going to give you, well, okay, there's a few things. With the translation I'm working with here, and all of our translations, they all kind of are weird. Some of your translations will say he tried to kill Moses. Some will say he tried to kill his son. I like this translation that says him, and it doesn't tell us who it was. Um, our translation here in the CSB, it says um, she threw the foreskin at Moses' feet. It doesn't say that in the Hebrew text. It basically says she uh, touched it to his feet. So we don't know if he's talking about Gershon or, or the other son, or we don't know if he's talking about Moses, right? A lot of things that we don't know about and interpretation things that's happening here. And what in the world does it mean you are a bridegroom of blood to me? Maybe that was a ritual thing. That's what you would say. You're like, hey, you're part of the family now. Or maybe it was, she's like, you're like a husband of death to me, right? I don't know. Okay, here's what we do know. God came to, while they were overnight, uh, came to Moses or his son. One of those two. Most people agree what probably happened is they were afflicted with some serious illness, right? Like all of a sudden it's like fever, can't breathe, about to die kind of situation. Uh, so one of the two, Moses or the son. Um, Zipporah understands something that's happening and, and circumcises the one child. Now we understand from Genesis 17 on Abraham was given circumcision as a sign for all males that they belonged to the community of God. It wasn't just a sign. It was an actual spiritual act that said you belong to this community. And that's part of the Old Testament. Um, so whatever happened, Moses, I think, absolutely understood that this was supposed to happen. And in Genesis 17, it says uh, when the boys are eight days old, that is when the circumcision is supposed to happen. Uh, his sons are obviously older than this. And it hadn't happened. We don't know why it didn't happen. Maybe uh, they were practicing uh, the, the Ishmaelite practice of, uh, of circumcising the boys at 13. <laughs> uh, maybe they were doing that. And maybe that's why one of the sons was not circumcised. Uh, maybe they argued about it. Maybe the Midianites, they said, no, we, we circumcise at 13, and, and you Israelites, you do it at eight days old, and all right, fine, you get one kid, we'll circumcise one kid at the eighth day, and we do the other kid this way, right? Maybe they were doing that, I don't know. Whatever it was, they weren't following it. And so God is pushing Moses' family into following the law in Genesis uh, before he reaches the promised land. We will circle back to that point in a second. But put yourself in Moses' shoes. God, you told me to go do this. Okay. And it's me and you, God. Right? It's me and you. Um... Oh, by the way, so we don't see Zipporah here for another number of chapters. We never see her in Egypt. 
We see at some point she comes back, like he meets his wife and kids again. So there's some point where Zipporah and his boys leave. Um, this is the last we see of them. My best guess is they probably leave right now. Right? Hey, you're on this mission, and it almost killed somebody. I'm out. Right? Uh, maybe, maybe Zipporah left in anger. Maybe they just decided, you know what? We can't do this as a family. We, we can't. This is too big. And so I'm going to send you and the kids back. Either way, think about the rejection Moses is feeling. On the one hand, if she leaves in anger, I mean, that rejection, if any of you have ever been rejected by, by like a spouse before, that hurts. That is just brutal. But even if they both came to the same conclusion, they said, you know what? We can't do this. It's too dangerous. That still hurts too. That's still hard. Yeah, I'll see you later, honey. I don't know when. A year, two years, three years, four years? Oh, yeah. Anyone want to sign up for that in your marriage? That feels like rejection. But not only that, so then Moses is over here and he's thinking like, you know, it's me and God, me and God. I can do this. If it's just me and God, we can do anything. And meanwhile, God tried to kill him or his son. Doesn't really matter which. Those are both pretty awful to experience. Right? And the text is very explicit. The Lord intended to kill him. How are you feeling now about your calling? Wait a minute, I'm doing what you told me to do and now you're, try, like you're, you're, you're against me? I mean, I think this speaks very loudly to our modern day 21st century Christian understanding. Right? We say that all the time. Oh, me and God. Me and God, we can handle anything. Me and God, we can overcome everything. And no, that privatized faith, that's not God's intention. It's not his intention that it's just you and God against the whole world. It's not what he wants. He wants something deeper. He wants something more. What should we do when we feel rejected by God and everyone? What should we do when we feel rejected by everyone? I mean, even God here with Moses. I mean, just think what he's feeling here. So verse 27, now the Lord had... Okay, so now we're out of order again. This jumps back back to before the text we started today this happened before the first verse happens before god appeared to moses in the burning bush it says now the lord had said to aaron go and meet moses in the wilderness okay that's that happened before the burning bush aaron starts going everything happens and then the second part of verse 27 so he went and met him at the mountain of god and kissed him Moses told Aaron everything the Lord had sent him to say and about all the signs he had commanded him to do. Um, it's interesting. Why does he tell Aaron and not his father-in-law? Right? Like, you know, my guess, it's not in the text, but my guess is the less you know a person, the easier it is to dump all of your th thoughts and feelings to them, right? Because there's no, like he barely knows Aaron. Maybe he's seen him once or twice in his life. He doesn't know him, so he can dump everything. I got to tell you, the, the easiest time it is for me to share the gospel with people is when I don't know them. It's, like, it's fantastic. Like, I don't know you. Okay, right? Am I going to share the gospel with you and it's going to get awkward, right? It, like, no, because we're on a plane together and then we're going to deep plane. We're never going to see each other again. Easy, right? But then it's like, oh, my, my family member who I have to go spend time with and be awkward with, that's harder, isn't it? So I think he dumps on Aaron, but the answer isn't family. The answer isn't what should we do when we feel rejected by everyone? The answer isn't family. The answer comes next. Verse 29, Then Moses and Aaron went and assembled all the elders of the Israelites. 
Aaron repeated everything the Lord had said to Moses and performed the signs before the people. The people believed, and when they heard that the Lord had paid attention to them and that he had seen their misery, they knelt low and they worshipped. Moses finally experienced that acceptance when he went to God's people. When he gathered with his people. He felt he'd be rejected by his father-in-law. He knew that he would be rejected by the Egyptian community. His former foster community. He knew that he would uh, he, he experienced rejection more than likely from his wife in some way, shape, or form, even if it was a mutual decision. He experienced the rejection from God. God, why are you against me? What's going on? And I think God pushed him all along to teach him and to show him you need to find your acceptance in the community of the people of God. It's not just you and me. I have built and set apart an entire people to bring the good news about me to the entire world. It was true in the Old Testament. It's true in the New Testament. When did Moses find acceptance? It's when he followed God's call and went and brought the word to his people. When can we find acceptance? What should we do when we, find re- we feel rejected by everyone? When we feel rejected by everyone, we should find acceptance in a local church in a local body of believers. Not, this, not necessarily this one, not necessarily the one down the street, but it's the people that are going to say, we love you, we care for you, we're going to walk alongside you. That's where we will find acceptance. That's why Christ came and made the local church. He didn't just say this is a privatized faith. It's just you and me, and we've got this, and we're going to take all the world. He says, no, I've got a church. I've got a body of believers. And we've come and gathered together so that you can, you can worship me together and, and have that acceptance. Look, last Friday, not this past Friday, the Friday before, um, I, I got one of those phone calls parents never want to get, and uh, one of my kids had a really bad time in school. And uh, it was rough. And of course, being the amazing, always making the correct decision parent that I am, I said to this kid, you know, it was, it was the night of we were having the Nerf battle here, right? And they had a bad day at school and did some bad things. And so I said, as a good, perfect parent, I said, you shall not go to the Nerf battle! <laughs> lightning, lightning. <sighs> right? It was fant- yeah, it was, yeah. And, but then as, you know, we talked about it and we thought about it and prayed about it, and as the moment for the Nerf battle grew closer we realized and came to the conclusion, look, at the end of the day, those people at school you're having a hard time with, those are the people you've got to learn to deal with. This church is your family. And right now, during this time of rejection and pain and hurt, I'm not going to punish you. I'm not going to discipline you by taking you away from the thing that you need. You feel rejected. You need acceptance. And my kid came and it was healing. So thank you, church. Here's what I think was happening here, especially with that weird situation with uh, God trying to 
uh, kill Moses or his son. I think God was trying to scare him. He was scaring him away from the same false belief we have in America. It's just me and God, and I can do everything else. And it's like, no, that, that sounds good on paper. It's not true. God knows that we need the community of God's people. And if you think about it, what, what circumcision was in the Old Testament is it was not merely a sign, but it was a spiritual act that said, this person belongs to the community. God was scaring him. You cannot do this just by yourself, Moses. I am with you and I have given you the community. You will never feel acceptance until you are accepted by the community. Until you go to the community, it is the place that I have brought you to so that you can grow and do the ministry I've called you to do. The same is true for us in the New Testament. We're told in the Bible that uh, in the New Testament, circumcision, uncircumcision doesn't matter. But that what we need is the spiritual circumcision of, of the cutting away of sin from our lives. And, and that happens when we trust in Jesus Christ. When we believe that Jesus lived the life you and I can't live, died the death you and I deserved on the cross, and rose again, we have eternal life. Our sin is cut off from us. Paul says that it's like he takes our old dead heart, pulls it out, throws it away, and puts in us a new heart. He gives us a new life. He adopts us into God's family. And it's not just saying, it's my relationship now with God, that matters, and I need to have a personal relationship with God. But, but it's more than that. It's more than that. Jesus came and He died and He rose again so that we could have a family here on earth. The church family. The community of God's people. This privatized idea where Christians are, are just going off and I can encounter God in the woods all by myself as much as I can in a church. Like, look, I've, I've had conversations with God in the woods. I love doing that. We need to worship together. There's something spiritual. There's something supernatural that happens when God's people gather. There is an acceptance that happens. And look, I know that there are toxic churches out there. We're not talking about them. We're talking about God's people gathering and saying, we care about each other. That's what we have to deal with sometimes. But these are the people who are going to love me. And look, some of you guys, there's going to be points where you sin and you're like, I can't go to church. There's going to be times where you're like, oh man, I haven't been there for months. I can't go back. It's too shameful. Look, you're never going to get that from me. And church, let's never do that as a church. If we see someone come through those doors that we haven't seen in a while, well, I haven't seen you in a long time, right? Like, let's never do that. Instead, let's just say, hey, it's great to see you. Let's welcome them as if we would welcome Christ. If someone totally messes up out there and they burn their whole marriage down and it's all their fault, or, or they, they get in trouble, trouble with, uh, with their boss and lose their job because of a natural consequence to their bad actions, and they come in, we're not going to be like, oh, we're going we're gonna to welcome them as if we were welcoming Christ and say, we love you, we care for you, it's good to have you here. And if you confess your sins, God is faithful and just and He will purify you from all unrighteousness by the blood of Jesus Christ. You're welcomed. Drayton, go ahead and throw up this uh, Bible verse. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 12. He says, God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the less honorable so that there would be no division in the body, but that the members would have the same concern for each other. So if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ 
and individual members of it. Look, the Orchard Church is never going to be perfect. We're never going to get it right. I am never going to get it right. I am absolutely not a perfect pastor. There's times I've told you I'd call you and I haven't called you. There's times that I've blown you up. I, I get it. But ultimately, let's discover the thing that God was trying to teach, I think, Moses throughout this whole ordeal is that you are not going to find broader exception and acceptance out there in the world. You're going to find acceptance when, when you belong to that body of believers who loves you and cares for you and genuinely worships the one true God together. When you feel utterly rejected by everyone, you will find acceptance in your local church. This means that you're accepted. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, thank you for the blessing of the local church. This church, the church is meeting in Kingsley right now as we, we pray. Lord, the churches uh, throughout Grand Traverse County meeting as we pray. The uh, churches throughout America, the churches around the world. Thank you for the blessing of the local church. Father, we know that Jesus had said in the Gospel of Matthew that uh, this blessing of your people, those who've lost father and mother and land and, and brother and sister on your account, Father, that in this life you will add to them you will replace them. You will surround those who have lost so much for the name of Christ with the church family. I pray, Father, you help us to grow closer together. I, I know we don't do it perfectly here, but I pray that this church body, whether we are gathered physically, whether we are online, whether we are uh, going throughout our lives during the week, that we just get closer together. We are able to call each other. We're able to communicate with each other. We're able to pray for each other. We, we care about each other. Help us to learn that this is the place that we find acceptance because we all kneel at the throne of grace in the same place. We are all sinners in desperate need of the Savior. Thank you for giving us Jesus Christ who bled for us, who died for us, who rose again for us and is coming again to set up His kingdom. May you help us to reveal that kingdom here, today, in small ways. Glimpses of it until it comes in power with the return of of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's in Jesus' name that we thank you and pray. Amen.